It's time for America Outdoors Radio, the show that covers the outdoor scene across the U.S. of A. and the entire continent. Fishing, hunting, conservation, outdoor recreation, and great destinations, we cover it all every week. It's your country, your outdoors. Let's explore it together with your host, John Cruz. Welcome aboard. Our main topic today is that walleye tournament cheating scandal out of Cleveland, Ohio, that has been reported on in every major publication in America and also publications and outlets in Australia and England. It all took place last Friday, September 30th, at the weigh-in for the Lake Erie Walleye Trail Championship in Cleveland, Ohio. Anglers there were competing not only to be the champion, but also hoping to earn thousands of dollars in the process. The last team to weigh in, that was Chase Kaminsky from Pennsylvania and Jake Runyon from Cleveland, Ohio. They were actually gunning for the Angler of the Year title because they had been in first place in several tournaments and had actually earned $306,000 in cash and prizes fishing walleye tournaments in this region over the last three years. They weighed in five walleye, weighing 33 pounds, well over what anybody else was weighing in. But this didn't look right. And the tournament director, Jason Fisher, cut open one of those fish, and this was videotaped, reached down, held up lead weights, and said, we've got weights in fish. And the crowd erupted. After all, these guys are fishing hard all day. They've paid $400 entry fees, and they have just confronted two of their fellow anglers that Not only cheated at this tournament, but anglers now realizing probably cheated at several earlier tournaments taking money from them as well. I'll give you a fair warning. There's a lot of F-bombs dropped in this video. It's not suitable for work, but if you want to see some angry, angry walleye anglers and a cheater caught red-handed, you've got to check out this video on YouTube. Just Google walleye cheaters and you will find it in a hurry. We'll be talking to the tournament director of the Lake Erie Walleye Trail today, Jason Fisher, who's going to tell us exactly how all this went down and what's going to happen next to Jake Runyon and Chase Kaminsky, who have truly become infamous because of this incident. As a sometime tournament angler myself, this one is a real gut punch. I've got to tell you, cheating does not happen very often. I actually called up several tournament directors I know, and none of them really wanted to talk about this on the air, but just about every one of them said it was very rare, and several of them had never even come up against it before. Now, sometimes when we have these big money tournaments, there will be a polygraph that will be administered to the winner to make sure they followed all the rules and there was no cheating. But to see lead weights in fish, as a matter of fact, all five fish had lead weights in them to increase their weight, that is something else. It's the worst scandal I ever heard of, but doing a little digging, I actually found another scandal just as big from 2010 happened out in the southwest at the Western Outdoor News Open. $100,000 was on the line, and an angler named Mike Hart was caught doing the same thing. He had stuffed his bass with weights, and he ended up not only paying a $1,000 fine, but never fishing a tournament again and losing his job and a whole lot more. It does not pay to cheat, that's for sure. It didn't for Mike Hall, and I have no doubt it's not going to for Chase Kaminsky and Jake Runyon either. Sean Connery, playing James Bond, said it best, cheaters never prosper.
What else do we have for you this week on the show? Well, we're going to talk to Dale Goff. He is the owner of Roadside Minnows, and they make some really interesting soft plastics that are mainly fished under the ice, and their bestseller, plastic perch eyes that apparently work really good, but he's got more than that to tell you about, too. Another guest you'll hear from is Jared Wicklin with Pheasants Forever. They have the new state-by-state hunting forecast. We're going to break down some of the top states for you and let you know how they're expected to be for pheasant hunting this year. In addition to this, we've got some good news out of New Hampshire where moose hunting season is about to begin for 42 lucky hunters. And we'll tell you how the moose population has grown quite a bit in the Granite State over the last few years. Before we talk about all this, though, let's head to Maryland because they have something very special they've created. And if you're a fly angler, you're going to be very interested in this. Next up on America Outdoors Radio, we've got Rich Patuk on the line. He is the chair of a committee that put together Maryland's Fly Fishing Trail. This is a first in the nation trail that covers the entire state. No other state has this. That is a great guide for where you can go fly fishing. Rich, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. So when I think of fishing in Maryland, I think of brook trout in your streams, and I think of largemouth bass in the Potomac River, but you've got a whole lot of other species you can catch on the fly, don't you? Yeah, John. In Maryland, we're right on the in the middle of the Atlantic, so you think the species that you can catch up in Maine and down into the Carolinas, we actually have in Maryland. From uh, brook trout, as you say, out in western Maryland, to the Chesapeake, where you can get uh, Spanish mackerel, redfish, striped bass, to the Atlantic Ocean, which we uh, share a small section of. We can get out, out into the, uh, to the deep there and fly fish. So Maryland is very unique among all the 50 states in terms of opportunities to catch a wide variety of fish in a wide variety of fly fishing conditions. So the Fly Fishing Trail, it's online. And folks, the website to go to to find out more about it is Fish and Hunt. Maryland.com. That's fishandhuntmaryland.com, and you'll find a link to Maryland's Fly Fishing Trail. How many sites are there that are listed on the Fly Fishing Trail? So, John, we actually have 48, and how we came up with that is we actually have 23 counties along with Baltimore City. So the counties are sort of our main municipality within Maryland. So we've actually got two trail sites in each of those counties in the city itself so that folks don't get overwhelmed. You know, we started with a list of around 400. We narrowed it down to two per county in Baltimore City. But each one of those trail sites, even in the same county, provides fly fishers new to the sport or or having been there for a while with a very different fishing opportunity, both in terms of species, but also how they're going to fish, where they're going to fish, and what's going to be surrounding them. Rich, why did you and several other people decide to put in the work to do this? Yeah, so as myself and four other uh, dedicated fly fishers, we had a couple goals in mind, John. One is, first and foremost, we wanted to share why we are so passionate about fly fishing. It's not just a sport. It's really a lifetime's pursuit of, of different environmental experiences. Second, we want to bring actually more folks out and enjoying fly fishing. We want to see more younger anglers, like to see more women out there, folks of color, folks that have uh, perhaps a disadvantage on the economic side. We want to increase the diversity of people that are enjoying Maryland and fly fishing and as a sport and as something to enjoy with friends and family as well. So those were really the drivers. And we also wanted to let folks know that there is such a diversity of places and experiences just within the small state of Maryland that people who are fly fishing can have and enjoy from saltwater to freshwater to the ocean to coastlines. 
there is so much that Maryland has to offer, not only residents, but others across the country that of those 7 million people that enjoy fly fishing. So let's say I've got business in Baltimore, and I decide I want to bring my fly rod with me because I've heard all about this trail. Where should I go? Well, if you're downtown Baltimore, we actually have two sites, one literally on the Inner Harbor and the Canton Waterfront. You can, uh, from the shoreline, or even preferably rent one of their boats there and get out into Baltimore Harbor. But there's some fantastic, particularly during the spring and early summer, rockfish season in there, and you get into the summer, white perch, and a whole host of species. You can go down a little bit further into Mason Cove, which is actually the nation's first urban wildlife refuge, and again, have a shoreline-based or a kayak canoe that they provide there as well into some marshes that are literally almost right in the city limits themselves. Or you can travel a little bit north into Baltimore County and have a great trout fishing experience and a tailwater fishery on Gunpowder Falls. Well, this sounds fantastic. And you've definitely convinced me to bring my fly rod the next time I come to Maryland. So again, this is online right now. Are there plans to go ahead and put this in print format and have it available to mail out to people? Yeah, we're discussing right now with uh, two of our lead state agencies we work with, Maryland Department of Natural Resources, which manages the fisheries, and then Maryland Department of Commerce, which does their tourism, about the idea of a a hard copy pamphlet so somebody can be introduced to the trail and have a QR code that gets them to the website, but also something that might fold out a little bit so they can actually plan with their family or a group of uh, buddies to go out there and, and take advantage of Maryland in miniature. I think that's a fantastic idea, and I can't wait for it to come out in print. But in the meantime, folks, again, the website to go to, to check it all out online, is fishandhuntmaryland.com. Just look for the Maryland's Fly Fishing Trail, the first state in the nation to put something like this together. 48 different sites to fish on the fly in Maryland. Looks like a great resource. And Rich, thank you so much for sharing it with us today on America Outdoors Radio. John, you're welcome. the Dalles in Oregon for outdoors fun. Hike amongst the wildflowers, bike our riverfront trail, or visit the Gorge Discovery Center where you can enjoy a live raptor display, or even check out our National Neon Sign Museum. But don't forget the fishing. We've got salmon, steelhead, bass, walleye, and monster-sized sturgeon waiting just for you. When the day is done, tell those tall tales at one of our wineries, breweries, or restaurants, and plan your next adventure. Find out more at explorethedalles.com. We've been telling you about Sportsman's Cove Lodge in Southeast Alaska for a while now. They're truly Alaska's best lodge. Wildlife is abundant from bears and deer to eagles and whales. And let's not forget the reason you're here, the fishing, halibut, salmon, lingcod, rockfish, true cod, and more. It's all waiting for you in abundance at Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Book your trip today at alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com for Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Hunting and fishing are exercises in hope. Before you head into the woods, you hope to tag out on a deer you'll have to field dress. Before you make that first cast, you hope for a big fish to clean and fillet. When your hopes are realized, you'll need a sharp knife. Whether you sharpen that blade on a power sharpener in the shop or a manual sharpener in the field, WorkSharp has the tool for you. Look for WorkSharp products in sporting and stores near you or online at WorkSharpTools.com. From a bull elk ripping a bugle across the valley to wing beats on a duck marsh, 
public lands and waters are integral to our outdoor heritage. Become a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and stand up for our public lands and waters. Visit backcountryhunters.org today. back in with America Outdoors Radio. It is October and pheasant hunting is top of mind for a lot of our listeners. It just so happens that Pheasants Forever has come out with their annual pheasant hunting forecast broken down state by state. With us here to tell you more about it is Jared Wicklin, the public relations manager for Pheasants Forever. Jared, great to have you back on the show. Hey John, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So I know it's not so simple to just say on a nationwide basis, thumbs up, it's going to be a great season, or thumbs down, it's not going to be, because it really is very region-dependent, and it's also very weather-dependent, and we're talking about the seasons, winter, spring, and summer. What is an ideal seasonal pattern when it comes to having the best possible results for pheasant broods? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. It really starts in winter. In winter, we're shooting for pheasants aren't like some of the other species out there that bury into snow. So we're looking for average snowfall or below average snowfall. Temps are the same same deal. We want to minimize the falling temperatures outside. And, you know, when pheasants have to go find food, putting them out there in the elements is a, is a real risk for the birds. Typically, they don't freeze very often, freeze to death, but snow can be a real issue when they can't find cover. So we want higher temps. Lower snowfall amounts. When you get into spring, spring is one of those seasons that can really determine what your pheasant hatch is going to look like. And there's a lot of hunters out there that think, you know, once we get through winter, everything is fine and good to go. But spring weather can can really determine what your hatch is going to look like. And that's because pheasant chicks cannot thermoregulate or control their body temperature for the first 10 to 14 days. So when we have cold, wet temperatures in the spring, that can be a huge problem for pheasant broods because they rely on the hen to keep them warm during time. So typically when we have cold spring weather uh, that goes on quite a while, especially during the peak hatch, it doesn't mean good things birds moving on through, through, the, through the summer months and to become adults. Wow. Well, that spells very bad news for the Pacific Northwest where I live because we definitely had a very cold, wet spring, followed by drought. Let's talk about some states, though, where they did have that perfect combination. And some of those states are in the upper Midwest, like Wisconsin and Michigan and Minnesota. Things are looking pretty good for this season, aren't they? Yeah, they are, really. If you if you look at sort of the weather patterns and you go from south to north, most of that area was in extreme drought last year, like what you're experiencing in the Pacific Northwest. But For 2022, a lot of the states came out of it, particularly Iowa, Minnesota, the Dakotas, parts of eastern Montana. And the farther north you go in the pheasant range, especially in the Midwest, it's looking really a lot better than what we've seen in the past. Iowa in particular is really coming on as one of the better places to, to hunt pheasant in the nation. And it looks like this fall is poised to be even better than last year. It is. You know, uh, I was coming off of this would be the third year in a row they've experienced an increase in the roadside count. So basically looking at pheasant abundance from year to year, they had a 20% jump this year. You know, some of the best places to go are going to be north of I-80. So in the northern reaches of the state, north central, northwest and west central Iowa are going to be really good pheasant strongholds this year, you know, for hunters that are going to be traveling. 
I'd focus more, you know, it's always really busy on the opener and the two weeks thereafter. But after that, things really tend to open up. There's a ton of public land, especially up in that northwest sector in the Iowa Great Lakes region. And that's just a really good place to start if you're looking to come to Iowa this year and hunt uh, Hawkeye roosters. I understand that Minnesota is looking to have not only a good pheasant season early on, but also later in the year. Tell me about that. Yeah, Minnesota, um, they had about a 10% increase this year, and they're it's another state that's coming off of multiple years of, of nice increases for our favorite birds. So in the southwestern part of the state, you've sort of got a stronghold from Big Stone County all the way down through Redwood Falls, Minnesota, Blue Earth County, and you know, in a lot of those different regions, they saw the 10-year averages for roadside counts were the highest they've been in some time. So I think uh, hunters are going to find a lot of roosters. Uh, They're also going to find some hunters in those areas. But if you focus on more of late season opportunities, there's a lot of waterfall production areas and wildlife management areas that the DNR and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service manage. Many of those properties have been purchased by pheasants forever, more than 60,000 acres in our home state of Minnesota. And all of that's available on an online map that hunters can find at pheasantsforever.org the public land acquisitions map. There's some really good places to chase birds this fall in the land of 10,000 lakes. Well, that sounds like a great resource. Let's head a little bit south, and you kind of uh, foreshadowed this. You know, looking at some of our western and midwestern states like Wyoming and Colorado and Kansas, outlook's not quite as rosy there, is it? No, the drought has really impacted uh, what the birds have been able to do, not just from a cover standpoint, but when you lose moisture, you lose bug production. And when that tends to happen, you know, chicks have a 100% diet of soft-bodied insects. And if they don't have that insect production, it's really hard on them. And then also just nesting efforts in general. We're coming off of, you know, let's be two years in a row of extreme drought in a lot of those places. It doesn't bode well for the birds. So in Kansas, your best bet is going to be sort of north-central Kansas. They did get a little bit out of the drought monitor, and there are going to be birds to be had. I think quail could be okay in some different portions of the state, but pheasants just hit the drought two years in a row at a bad time for Kansas. You know, moving north from there, you get up into Nebraska. They did have their rural mail carrier survey that showed a 26% increase overall throughout the state, which is good. Oh, yeah. Um, hunters, obviously, there is going to be some drought-stricken conditions there, and you're going to find that some CRP in some of the areas, maybe open fields and waters that you've hunted in the past might be hay or graze, but it's going to push birds into smaller and smaller areas. So the southwest, the Panhandle region, typically always is the best pheasant hunting and that's the case again this year as well. Got about a minute left to talk about the Dakotas. Yeah, the Dakotas are looking great this year. Um, We've heard a lot of good things from upland biologists in some of those states, from our own biologists in South Dakota. Anywhere north of I-90 is kind of where the cutoff is for the drought. North of I-90, you've got really good habitat conditions and you've had plenty of rain in a lot of those different regions. So I point people towards Jim River Crep which is a conservation reserve enhancement program. It's all land that's enrolled in walk-in access, uh, especially late season, too. You get there when temperatures start to drop, the birds start to congregate in those cattails and little little woolier areas uh, for pheasant habitat can make for a really good hunt. In North Dakota, uh, I talked to some of our biologists up there. One, Emily Spoliar is a precision egg and 
conservation specialist, and she's been telling us that all the broods she's seen, she hasn't seen a, a single hen with a brood under eight chicks, which bodes really well for hunters going into the season in North Dakota. They saw a little bit of a boost, about 10%. And that was much needed after after a prolonged drought in that uh, region of the country. Wow. Very exciting news. If you want to go hunt the Dakotas there, folks. On that note, we've got to go. If we didn't cover your state, that's okay. I can tell you how you can find out information about pheasant hunting in your state. Just go to pheasantsforever.org. Look for the state-by-state hunting forecast. And if you're not a member already of this great organization, you really should join. There's a link there that makes it very easy to do so. Jared, thanks for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. Thanks, John. This portion of the show was brought to you by our friends at WorkSharp. They're the fine folks out of Ashland, Oregon, who make knife and tool sharpeners that you can use, whether you're hunting or fishing or camping or maybe in your shop, maybe in your kitchen for all of the knives and tools you need sharpened every day when you work and play. WorkSharp tools can be found online at WorkSharpTools.com or you can find them in sporting goods stores and hardware stores all over our great nation. Just look for WorkSharp products to sharpen your knives and your tools because nothing is worse than trying to get the job done right with a dull blade. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. These adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them, and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives. Find out more, get involved, or donate today at huntofalifetime.org. That's huntofalifetime.org. Huntofalifetime.org. Next on America Outdoors Radio, unless you've been under a rock, you probably heard about the huge cheating scandal that happened out at Lake Erie last week. It involved the championship for the Lake Erie Walleye Trail, and at weigh-in, the two people that were going to be the winners were found to have, in the words of Jason Fisher, the tournament director, weights in the fish. With us here to tell us more about the situation is Jason Fisher, who is the tournament director for this trail. Jason, welcome to the show. I know you've been a very busy man. Oh, yeah. I appreciate you having me on. Walk folks through what happened here. So this was the championship. How much money was on the line? What was the first place team going to win? Well, it's kind of a loaded question, but just simply the tournament itself, the first place angler would have won $8,000. And if there were in a the correct boat, like a Ranger or Nitro, they would win additional $7,000. There's also like big fish and side pot entries that, that you can win more money. So plain and simple, the tournament itself was worth eight grand. Okay. So the two anglers in question, Chase Comiskey, Jake Runyon, they're coming into this tournament as the leaders for Angler of the Year for this tournament trail. They're the last ones to weigh in, and they weigh in five walleye, 
that weigh 33 pounds, completely blowing out the second place contenders, which had 16 plus pounds. And there was people that were very suspicious right away, weren't there? So the second place team was at 28 pounds. The second place team of the year contenders had 22 pounds. So what I was looking at and what may be confusing as people get this story is I was looking for them to put up a score of over 16 pounds to take the lead back for team of the year. That's what they needed 16 pounds for. Gotcha. Okay, I understand. So any rate, the fish are weighed. The anglers are asked to hold up photos. And if you go to YouTube, there's video of this circulating. You immediately start hearing people in the background saying, those aren't seven-pound fish. So did somebody lodge a protest at that point? No, actually, I requested that they stand off to the side and take some photos. Um, there's a lot more to the story than this. You know, I do math in my head, and I have these calculations planned out ahead of time because I'd like to be dramatic and add excitement to our series. Sure. So when these guys are coming to the scales and I see the fish they're putting in their weigh basket, I'm like, okay, you know, that's a four-pounder, that's a four-pounder, and I'm expecting them to have a mid-20 bag, 20-pound, 20 22-pound bag. And when it jumps, you know, way more than what I'm expecting. It's setting red flags off in my mind, and I'm just, I'm like, there's something wrong here. And then the big fish they weighed was 790. The wind was just sucked from my sails, and I didn't know what to say. I was trying to have the show go on, but I, but I did ask them to step off to the side and wait. I wanted to take a look at the fish. And then, you know, you hear the crowd kind of getting into it. I could hear the crowd start buzzing a little bit. And then one angler you know, kind of says, let me see those fish. And uh, and I, at that point in time, I, I asked the two people in question here to step back over. And I, I took a look at the fish myself, and I felt the fish. I physically put my hands on the fish, and I could feel hard objects in the stomach. So when I did that, I asked somebody to get me a knife, and I cut the fish open and immediately found what appears to be lead weights inside these fish. Well, and you found, what, 10 or 12 lead weights? Is that correct, all weighing about a pound apiece? Yeah, there were 10 weights. Eight of them were 12 ounces, I believe, and then two of them were eight ounces. And then there were also fish fillets inside the fish. I have no idea how many fish fillets there were. I just, and I know that there were some, and I pointed it out and basically was disgusted with everything going on. And I understand there was even a pair of pliers found in one of the fish. <laughs> the pliers were, were mine. Okay, that, so okay. They, we, we used a Leatherman-type knife to cut the fish open, and I just laid them there. Gotcha. So, so the first thing you say, and this went completely viral, you go up and say, we've got weights and fish, the crowd erupts of the other anglers, and Jake Runyon's not, he didn't say a thing the entire time, did he? No, he did not. Wow. So what is the first thing, you can be seen saying something to him, Right after you said, we've got weights and fish, were you telling him he was disqualified? I didn't say those exact words. <laughs> um, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure what the audience level is on this show. Uh, but this I, is, but this I, is a family-friendly show, so suffice it to say, you colorfully told him he was disqualified. Yeah, for all the moms out there, I distastefully told him to leave. Fair enough. So this is not the first time these two anglers have been under suspicion. I understand another big tournament that you run, the Fall Brawl. Last year, they won it, but one of them failed the polygraph that is required in these big money tournaments, and they were disqualified. That's accurate information. I did not run the Fall Brawl last year, so I was not privy to any of the polygraph information. So 
I have no knowledge as to what actually went wrong. I just know that they were not awarded first place. What, they were disqualified. What was first place in the fall brawl last year? Yeah, it was a brand new uh, Ranger boat. And that brings me to the next thing. These two, they've been fishing a lot of tournaments. They've won a boat. I understand their total winnings is upwards of $300,000. Is that report accurate? If you include the boat that they won, I would say that that's probably getting close to accurate. I don't have any of the calculations written down or anything, but they've been winning a lot. Here's the next question. The police were summoned. Are basically charges going to be pressed for attempted theft, and I presume it would be a felony-level theft? So the Ohio Division of Wildlife has all the information. They, they have the fish, they have the weights, they have all the evidence, if you will. And I produced a statement to them with what happened. And obviously that will be turned over to their investigators and whatever prosecutor they use to determine if charges will be forthcoming. That's fair enough, though uh, I can tell you this. I'd be surprised, based on the videos I saw, if there were not charges forthcoming. And I'm assuming that Mr. Runyon and Mr. Comiskey, they are banned from all of your tournaments and probably every established tournament trail in the area? That's accurate. It would take a special person to register for a tournament after this. I don't know. I'm never surprised by what people will do who seem to lack a conscience like Mr. Runyon and Mr. Comiskey do. I do want to say that I think that you've handled this well. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the Lake Erie Walleye Trail and also about the Fall Bash and, and other tournaments people can get involved in at Lake Erie. So the Lake Erie Walleye Trail is a series that we run in Ohio. It's been operating for 20 plus years and there's been some great people before me. I'm just lucky enough to have been asked to take it over. And then I purchased it just due to some, you know, guys wanting to get out and move on with their lives. And I, I'm making the best of it. We run what I'd like to believe is the best circuit on Lake Erie. And we work with some of the national level walleye tours, like the Masters Walleye Circuit, and have combined events. And we provide anglers with a great opportunity to get out there and be competitive and fulfill that 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 competition that we all you know have deep down inside of us. Uh, we're just too old and fat to go play baseball anymore, so <laughs> we go fishing. And the fall brawl is a derby that we run for six weeks in the fall. Anybody can win. It's just a luck thing. You get out there, you catch one giant fish, you can win. You know, a brand new boat. We have great sponsors that take care of us throughout the course of the year and provide anglers with great opportunities to win very cool prizes. And we're we're devoted to keeping this stuff honest. I, you know, I feel sad for the situation that we just had, but most of our anglers are great guys and very honest, hardworking individuals. And they take time and money away from their families and their work schedules and things to compete. And, and we also, you know, support each other. I mean, just this year alone, we've had a couple families with cancer uh, related issues and we raise money for them and the guys pull together and do their thing. And, and we support, you know, it, it's, it's one big giant family. And that's what it is getting involved with some of these tournaments. You meet new people and you do new things and you all come together whenever there's times of need. And, and that's kind of how we are and, and how we like to operate. And it's more than just some kind of money for us. It's simply a way of life. And these guys take this stuff very seriously. And, you know, we love doing it. Sounds like a great tournament trail to be a part of. I know that you can go to the Lake Erie Walleye Trail Facebook page. You've got a website, too. What is that? It's LakeErieFallBrawl.com. 
Okay, LakeErieFallBrawl.com and LakeErieWalleyeTrail.com. Check out those websites if you want to be a tournament walleye angler involved in what sounds like a great tournament trail. Jason, you have definitely gone through a lot in the last week, but thanks for sharing your story with us today on America Outdoors Radio. Thank you. Why book at Sportsman's Cove Lodge? Why is Alaska like no other place on earth? It hasn't changed in thousands of years. From the way you get here on a float plane to the way you go out with the guides and the boats, it's just a professional experience. And I said, this is as good as it gets. I said, if you can't catch fish here, you can't catch fish anywhere. Your experience with us will leave you speechless. Book now at alaskasbestlodge.com. In today's news, I'm cooking a brisket. Let's go to Jill at my house to see how it's going. This is your house and you brought me and the crew to check on your brisket? That's correct, Jill. How's it looking? This is a Camp Chef Woodwind Wi-Fi. You know you, you can check your cook right from your phone, right? I didn't know that was an option, Jill. Well, never mind. But before you leave, can you feed the dog? What? No, no. When we get back, why is my check engine light on? The answer may shock me. Ready to step up to a quality-built rifle or shotgun that's a true classic? Check out Henry Repeating Arms, American-made. There's over 200 models to choose from in a variety of finishes and calibers for hunters and target shooters. Many of these are lever-action models with a look right out of the Old West. Don't be deceived, though. Henry Repeating Arms are modern, rugged, accurate, reliable, and have a lifetime guarantee. Find out more and order a free catalog today at HenryUSA.com. That's HenryUSA.com. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. These adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them, and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives. Find out more, get involved, or donate today at huntofalifetime.org. That's huntofalifetime.org. Huntofalifetime.org. You're back in with America Outdoors Radio. Our next stop is Michigan. We've got Dale Goff on the line. He is the CEO of Roadside Minnows. And if you are an ice fishing angler, you may be familiar with his products, but he offers some products that will be useful to other anglers too. Dale, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your five-year young company? Yeah, absolutely. So we started about five years ago. We're going into our fifth ice fishing year this year. And how it started was my wife and I had our first newborn and she was the breadwinner. So I got to stay home and I quit my job, which at then was construction. And uh, I started messing around with some uh, plastic bait. As you know, when you're a stay-at-home dad, there's times where you sitting around twiddling your fingers while the baby's sleeping and whatnot, so you get bored. And so I started dinking around with that. Well, one thing led to the next, and my friends started asking if they can get their hands on. At the time, it was our, I think it was our micro minnows was our first plastic. And so I started making them, and a long story short, we ended up having to get a website, and <laughs> uh, the demand became very popular, and I uh, became very blessed and got to be one of the guys that stay home and work from home. So we just continued on from there. 
and grew from theirs. How many employees do you have now? We currently only meet myself and my wife. Well, I love that. Family-owned, family-run business. Let's talk about your most popular offering, the original perch eye. And I'm looking at the package. It looks like a package full of fish eyes with little entrails. And I guess I never even thought of having a plastic bait to use for perch that resembles this. Tell our listeners more about it. Yeah, so how they came about was we had a couple guys on our pro staff team that they said, you know, back in the days we used to use the perch eyes out of the perch when we would go fishing, when they were ice fishing. And they were curious if we can come up with anything to resemble a perch eye. So about 16, 18 months into the project, we finally came up with a way to manufacture something that resembled a perch eye. And uh, from there, it just kept getting more popular and growing from there. And uh, we're, we're planning on... Uh, coming out with some bigger perch eyes as we've been getting a lot of people wanting uh, larger ones for crappie to try them. So that's been our uh, go-to bait for sure. So are most people fishing these on a micro jig through the ice for perch? Yes, exactly. They'll put it on a 164th or 132nd or a really small tungsten jig and jig it through the ice. Yeah, it's, it's really a product that the ice fishermen have come to like. Why don't you tell our listeners about some of your other products that work very well for ice fishing? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one of our other hot products is a baby guppy, and they are an inch and a quarter, and they, they're their standout features, all, like a lot of our baits, is we put the 3D eyes on, and that's all hand done, and then we hand dip each one of them and hand package each one of them, uh, and that's how we get our every bait is manufactured right here out of our one-room shop here in Cedar, Michigan. So, and, and the baby guppies are a very popular one. Our micro minnows are popular. Our wiggles are our smallest plastic bait. And the ice fishermen that fish bluegill really love the wiggles because they're such a micro plastic that they can stick it on those little tiny jigs. <laughs> so they, they enjoy that too. So in addition to these ice fishing lures, you've also got something that would work very well for open water and not just for panfish, but also for bass and walleye. It's a little swim bait, a two-inch plastic swim bait called the X2. How did you come up with this idea? Yeah, when we were uh, just getting into the swim bait market, our crappie guys, panfish guys on the team wanted something that they can fish the open water with casting and retrieving instead of jigging so we ended up coming up with the x2 and uh, it's been a hot little bait once again we add the the oversized 3d eyes on those and every one of those is hand dipped once again and uh so the the, the quality of the x2 is beyond no other it really is uh, just because if anybody's familiar with handmade baits and hand dipping it's a lot of time and a lot of effort <laughs> you're a big believer in the oversized eyes aren't you Yes, we have been from day one. We get, we've gotten a really good response from anglers with the eyes. We continue giving them what they want. <laughs> so unfortunately, you got some unwanted publicity last week for your company. Everyone out there, we've been talking about on this show, it's all over YouTube. It's all over the news, literally all over the world. Jake Runyon, Chase Kaminsky, two anglers caught cheating at the Lake Erie Walleye Trail Championship. They had weights in the fish they brought in for the weigh-in. And here's Jake Runyon wearing a, a jersey, and it's got a Roadside Minnows logo on it. I just want to make something very clear here. He's not associated with your company in any way, is he? No, that is correct. He's not associated with us at all. Anybody can 
grab our logo and throw it on their jersey or their boat or their trucks. And it's impossible for us to keep up with it all. But we have a group of guys here on our team that there's no way in this world they'd ever cheat in any tournament. And their standards of fishing is beyond, you know, uh, it's like any other fishing angler out there. Um, me personally, that is, it's just, it's so bad that that happened. And I guess I hope whatever the punishment is for them, I don't think it could be enough, but I don't think they should ever be invited to a tournament again or even associate themselves with fishing because it's just a disgrace to the industry. I can't imagine any tournament director ever allowing them to fish a tournament anywhere in the United States. Exactly. No way. Right. I don't see it ever happening either. And, you know, and I feel real sorry for all the folks that fish the tournament and the folks that put the tournament on and um, all the hard work that goes into it. As you and I know, it's it's a year-round process to get everything together. And then you have some folks out there that's not playing by the rules. You know, it just really looks bad in our sport of fishing, and that's not what we want to be all about. I agree completely. Well, let's get back to roadside minnows and the unique lures you offer for ice fishing anglers and more. Where can people buy your products? Yeah, so they can go on our website at roadsideminnows.com. They can get them there. And we're also in a handful of mom-paw shops spread out around the nation. Our biggest one, if they go to Mystery Tackle, we, we do put our packs in Mystery Tackle that get distributed throughout uh, Dick's Sporting Goods and Walmart. So that's pretty exciting stuff that, there for us anyway, for a small company, you know, that we just family own and operate. And we're trying to get to where we can keep up with more retailers. We have a lot of it, retailers that are interested. We just have to make sure we can keep up with the demand, you know, because some of them are, it's just impossible for us to keep up with. <laughs> nope, I completely understand. Well, I wish you much success as you continue to grow. And thank you for spending some time with us today on America Outdoors Radio. I appreciate it so much and I appreciate the time spent with you. This portion of the show is brought to you by our friends at Henry Repeating Arms. And with hunting season upon us, it is definitely time for a lever action rifle from Henry Repeating Arms. Whether you're after deer, bear, moose, or rabbit, squirrel, or turkey, Henry Repeating Arms has a rifle for you in the caliber you need for success this fall. And yes, I did mention Turkey. They have shotguns too, in both 12 gauge and 410. Check out the entire lineup of over 200 models available at HenryUSA.com. That's the website to go to to check out all of these rifles and shotguns that are all made in America. They all are rugged, they're reliable, they shoot straight, and they come with a lifetime satisfaction guarantee. So again, go to HenryUSA.com, look for an authorized dealer near you, and don't forget to ask for your free decals and catalog too. Sticking with hunting and heading to New Hampshire, moose numbers continue to grow in the Granite State, which means more hunters will get the opportunity to hunt for a moose between October 15th and the 23rd. New Hampshire's first modern moose hunt occurred in 1988. At that time, there were 1,600 moose and 75 permits were issued for hunters in the North Country. Fast forward to this year, and the estimated population of moose in New Hampshire sits at 3,300 animals, more than double of what was there before. 6,000 people applied to hunt a moose this year, and 40 permit holders were randomly drawn as winners. An additional two permits were given to nonprofit organizations to use. The lucky ones who did draw a permit this year should be in for a good hunt. Last year, 73% of the hunters afield harvested a moose, and if you have never tried moose meat before, trust me, 
It is lean, healthy, and delicious. We've got to start wrapping things up here, but I've got to tell you, I am excited about the opening day of waterfowl season in my home state of Washington next Saturday. And my best friend, Rusty, and I will be hiking out to a pond in the dark, one we've hiked to many times before, with hopes of shooting a limit of duck that opening morning. Heck, if we get them fast enough, we might just get the boat out and do a little bass and walleye fishing too. Here's hoping that there's some hunting or fishing or other time afield and in nature coming your way in the week ahead, that you stay healthy, that you're blessed, and that you do remember this. It is your country and your outdoors, so get out there and enjoy it. Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, a nationwide group working to keep public lands in public hands. We've helped ban the use of drones for hunting. We help repair wildlife corridors and key riparian areas. We speak up against illegal ATV use. Please join this dynamic conservation group. Check us out at backcountryhunters.org.